וגם אני פתאום Welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, Director of the Columbus Community Kolot. And it's a great honor and privilege to welcome you to our next episode featuring Rabbi Herschel Schechter, the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshivas Rabbeinu Yitzchak Elchanan, otherwise known as REITS. It's a great zechus that we get to have the Rosh Yeshiva join us on this program. We're going to entitle it Ask the Rabbi, as that is exactly what we do on so many different topics. Um, this episode is sponsored by Rick and Terry Barnett of Remax Main Street. So thank you, Rick and Terry, for sponsoring this. And I will be co-hosted by Rabbi Ari Newman, a friend, a colleague, an associate. He is the associate rabbi at the Main Street Synagogue, Congregation Torah Met, and also a student of Rabbi Schechter and uh, Yeshiva University. So this is a great um, opportunity that a former student and uh, graduate gets to talk to his rabbi on this show and ask such um, incredible questions on so many different areas of uh, Judaism. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to cover a lot of different topics. I'll tell you a few of them right now. Um, one of them is what uh, Rabbi Schachter learned from his rebellion, who they were and what did he learn from them. Uh, some other things that he um, that we discuss is the need for more rebellion in, you know, in our, all of our schools around the country. Uh, maybe some differences between different Jewish communities and not so significant differences between Jewish communities. Uh, we also cover some controversial halachic uh, topics that we're going to uh, get to and the different opinions and when one could rely on uh, which opinion. Is one allowed to go heter shopping for rabbis who are more lenient? Is one allowed? Um, are there times where it's allowed? How does that work? And we also talk a little bit about how do you talk about Mashiach, which is also something, uh, a fascinating discussion. So we're going to cover all of this right on this show. Um, following this episode, we're going to show you, uh, we're going to replay a music video of Lule Sayrascha, um, which is a, a beautiful music video that we put out right in the uh, heat of COVID, right, you know, you know, during the intense lockdowns um, about our relationship with Torah learning. And we thought it would be so appropriate to show that video following our interview with such a Tamar Chacham, with such a, um, such a big uh, Torah scholar as well. So following this episode, don't turn off your computer, your phone, or whatever you're watching this on. Uh, make sure to watch that beautiful music video as well. And uh, without further ado, please allow me to tell you about our guest. Rabbi Herschel Schechter is a noted Talmudic scholar and has had a distinguished career with REITs for over 50 years. He joined the faculty in 1967 at the age of 26, the youngest Rosh Hashiva at REITs. Since 1971, Rabbi Schechter has been Rosh Kolo and REITs Institute for Advanced Research in Rabbinics. In addition to his teaching duties, Rabbi Schechter lectures, writes, and serves as a world-renowned halachist. A prolific author, he has written more than a hundred articles in Hebrew and in English for such scholarly publications as Hapardis, Hoadarom, Beth Yitzchak, and Or Hamizrach. His svarim include Eretz Hatzvi, Be'ikve Hatzon, Ginas Haegos, and Nefesh Arav, 
Bibnine Harav and Divrei Harav. At the age of 22, Rabbi Schechter was appointed assistant to the renowned Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik Zatzal. Rabbi Schechter has also graduated from the Bernard Revel Graduate School with a B.A. in Hebrew Literature and was ordained that same year. Alongside myself, I have a dear friend and colleague, Rabbi Newman, who I believe, Rabbi Newman, you have a, you, you have a relationship with Rosh Hashiva. Is that right? Yeah, actually. Um, so the Rosh Hashiva is, uh, is his son-in-law, um, Rathani Kohn, is the assistant rabbi in my in-law's shul, the Prales. Mm-hmm. And I was privileged uh, one, one Sukkot that there was a little bit of overflow at, uh, I think, your, your daughter Yaffa's house that, uh, that Rav Schechter came and joined us at, um, at the Prales house. And I think uh, we bunked up in the, in the sukkah, that uh, particular Sukkot. Um, I think my mother-in-law offered you a, a, a cot and we, uh, we both ended up uh, sleeping in the sukkah that night. Um, also, I was uh, I merited to go to Germany with you, Rabbi Sobolowski, and a couple of other students from YU. Um, and it was actually my first trip to the yeshiva in Berlin, which I went to two subsequent times afterwards. Um, and it was uh, I, I still remember waking up early, learning Masachat um, Tzimura with you. Um, it was the first time I'd ever dabbled in that, but it was uh, some fun times. So, um, wow! So. Th- th- Thank you that thank you for that, Rabbi Newman, and thank you so much, uh, Rosh Hashiva, for coming on. Um, wanted to first ask the Rosh Hashiva if you could tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your background, where you learned some of your rebbeim, and some of the things of some of the uh, guiding forces that uh, were, I guess, from childhood and beyond. Uh, my father was a rabbi all of his life. He was also Muslim from Yeshiva College at that time. He learned by Moshe Soloveitchik. And his first rabbinical position was in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I was born there. Then my father was rabbi in Reading, then in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia, I went to the day school, uh, which only went to the fifth grade. And then uh, my parents had to send me to New York to stay with my grandparents in order to go to the day school in New York for sixth grade. And then before my bar mitzvah, my parents already moved to New York. So then... After Bar Mitzvah, <clears throat> I attended Yeshiva University High School, and I'm still there. I'm still there in Yeshiva University all these years since my Bar Mitzvah. <laughs> Who are my rabbeim? Uh, I only ha- I had very few rabbeim. In high school, I had three rabbeim, and then the third rebbe in the third year high school recommended that for the fourth year high school at the age of 16, they should put me in Rabbi Soloveitchik's class. But because I was so young, Rabbi Salvechik only gave a shir at that time on Tuesday and Wednesday. He would come in from Boston on Tuesday morning, give a shir on Tuesday, a shir on Wednesday, then go back. So because I was so young, so I thought I should be in Rabbi Salvechik's shir for Tuesday and Wednesday, and the rest of the week, all the rabbi was learning the same Gemara, the rest of the week I should be in Rabbi Gerelik's shir. So all of my rabbim had a tremendous influence on me. My main rabbi was Rabbi Salvechik for 10 years, in the age of 16 and 26. And then before that, I learned the first year of high school, I learned in Rabbi Moshe David Tendler's class. He just passed away a few months ago. Then the second year, I learned by Rabbi Yosef Weiss, who just passed away a few years ago, about three years ago. Then the third year, I learned <clears throat> by a European, Talmud Chacham. 
Rabbi Henoch Fishman, who was a, a very beloved Talmud of Rabbi Soloveitchik, Shiva University, we had a few Rabbeim who had learned in Europe by Rabbi So Rabbi Fishman was one of them. And then the fourth year I learned by Rabbi Gorelik, who also learned by Rabbi Soloveitchik. And uh, at the same time, I was in Rabbi Soloveitchik Shia. I was very fortunate. Um, I was there to learn 10 years by Rabbi Soloveitchik. I think those were the best 10 years of his, uh, of his life. Before my time, there were a lot of brilliant students, more brilliant than me. But I don't know. I think Rabbi Soloveitchik, sure, probably too, too difficult for them. So they can't say over anything. And, um, and after I left this year, Rabbi Soloveitchik was already was not healthy. He had Parkinson's and he couldn't prepare for this year. He was already old. I think I had the best 10 years of his life and of his career of giving shiur. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful. And one last question before I turn it over to uh, Rabbi Newman. Um, I was told by uh, another friend here in Columbus, Rabbi David Clayman, who's uh, Rabbi Willig's uh, son-in-law. And I told him that we were having this interview and he said, oh, you have to ask the Shiva for stories about Gedalim. He has the best stories. You have to make sure. So I don't know if you have a favorite Gadol story or, or something that you like to share with people, but I definitely wanted to make sure that we covered that. So if there's something you could share, please do. I, uh, over the years, I met different uh, of the earlier generation. A favorite story. I don't know. I have a lot of stories. I remember uh, my father-in-law, Zachan Levrache, was a teenager in Europe when he learned to marry yeshiva. And he became very, very befriended. He became very friendly with Rabbeinish Finkel. <clears throat> so years later, after Rabbeinish passed away and his son-in-law, Rabnasen Tzvi Finkel was the Rosh Yeshiva, he was very friendly with me. Because his father-in-law and my father-in-law were the best of friends. So I remember the first time we visited, I was married for a while. We didn't have any children. So we decided to go visit Eretz Yisrael. The Gemara says sometimes you don't have children because because you live in Chutzlords. So sometime we decided maybe we'll visit Eretz Yisrael, maybe in the schools of visiting, maybe we'll be blessed with children. And then when we came back, we had nine children. And now we have many grandchildren. <clears throat> so I remember the first First summer we visited Eretz Yisrael. Rabbeinish Finkel wanted we should spend, we should eat all the meals by him. He was so friendly with my father-in-law. He felt that I should eat all the meals by him. So I remember uh, we ate, we didn't eat all the meals by him. And we ate by him more than anybody else because he insisted. So I remember once on a Shabbos afternoon, we came a little late to Shalashudas and he had already watched it. He already said, Hamoitzi. So I was going to say, my own Hamoitzi. So there were gigantic chalas on the table. So as I was watching in the kitchen, Rabbeinish was a big tzanua. He 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 had a lot of midas chasidus, but uh, even his own children didn't even realize. He only had daughters. Even his own children didn't realize his midas chasidus. So he whispered to me in my ear, he's always makbid to cut both chalas, and I shouldn't feel uncomfortable, even though the chalas are gigantic. I should cut the both chalas for shalashudas. So okay. Go and sheet the Vilna Go and Paskins like the Rash. Boy, she cut both chalas. So I sat down at the table, I cut the both chalas. So he had a daughter. Uh, he had one single daughter at that time, the youngest daughter. She, she started screaming at me in Hebrew. Why do you cut the both chalas for? Nobody else is eating. Why do you ruin the shlemus? 
She was brought up for 18 years in her father's home. She never realized that the father's always machme, always medactic to cut the both chalas. He had, he had a lot of Midas Hasidis, and he was such a tzanua. His own family didn't realize what is, what is Midas Hasidis. Wow. I don't know. There are a lot of stories. A lot of stories about Rab Soloveitchik also, yeah. So uh, one of the things that for me is very inspiring is, I know your father was a was the rabbi, your Rosh Hashiva. I know um, your son, Rosh Shai Shechter. Um, I was in YU with him. And as I mentioned, I know your daughter Yaffa, Rebetzin Yaffa Kohn, who is also a Rebetzin. And look, me and Rabbi Kapitzin are both young parents. And we're, we, all, we both have young children. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to raise them in the world today. And I'm curious if, if, if Shechter had any insight in terms of uh, some of the successes that you've, you and the Rebetzin have had. It's such a different world now. I don't know how I would be able to raise my children in this world. There's so many crazy things going on and you have to, you can't protect your children from these things. They're going to be exposed to them whether you like it or not. How do you deal with everything? I don't know. I think my children have a more difficult job raising their children than I had with my wife raising our children. I don't know. You have to have a big siyay tarishma. You have to daven a lot. You have to daven a lot to be matzliach. And what you have to do, I'm not sure. I don't know. Great. <laughs> well, da- davening a lot is definitely not a bad start. So that that's uh, that, that's definitely one thing. Um, I, I was just wondering if the Rashiva could could elaborate. Is there something that maybe parents overlook um, because? Ultimately, we're not going to um, quote unquote win our children with um, with entertainment. The world out there is going to do a much better job at that. But sticking to parents, sticking to their strengths, maybe there's going to be something there that is better than entertainment. So, what, what would the Rashiva suggest in terms of parents that are looking to really make sure that they are the um, you know primary source of influence? Um, what is something that the Rashiva could suggest to parents that they have children that you know carry their values? The parents have to have to have Dirashamayim and they have to impress upon their children how important Dirashamayim is. When we bench for Shredish, every month we bench for Shredish, so we say a text that the, it's not really the way it appears in the Gemara. The way we say the Tvila, Yeratzmofanecha, we mention twice in the same Tvila, Chaim Sheish Bam Yerashamayim. Apparently, over the generations, the Rabbanim decided that we needed an extra dose of Yerashamayim. So we mention it twice. Yerushalayim is very important. The children have to be taught how to read Hebrew and how to understand Hebrew. So they'll be able to learn everything from the original. They have to learn young. I remember when I was a young boy, I used to read different swarm that uh, were in my father's shul. Before my bar mitzvah, I used to read. I, I read Hebrew without Nakudis. I guess my father must have taught me. I don't know. I guess so. Um, so one other question. Um, I remember, and I'm not sure this is a new problem or an old problem or a perennial problem, but I remember when I went to JEC, many of my Rebbeim were wonderful Tamni um, Chachamim, and they came in from Lakewood to teach um, in JEC. And it was a generally a non-Orthodox school. A lot of the students ended up going to YU. And I know as being on the other end now, 
um, in community leadership, we struggle very mightily trying to fill slots of Rebam in our school. I'm curious um, if you have any insight in terms of, um, do you think this is just going to be a problem? Is there a way to try to um, help help it? What do you, what do you, what, well, I don't know if Rashiv has any thoughts. I remember many years ago, maybe 40 years ago, Moshe Feinstein with many other, uh, Mendel Zaks, many other Rabbonin, must have been more than, must have been 50 or 60 years ago. Uh, the big Rashi Yeshiva in the United States signed a, a Kol Kari that was hanging in all the Yeshivas, encouraging the young Musmachim and the young graduates of the Yeshivas to go into Chinuch on, on an elementary age. Each one holds that he wants to be the head of a Kolo. He wants to have uh, college-age students. He wants to have adults. But we need people to teach the young children also. You need good people. We have to encourage them. Just this uh, two, uh, two days ago on, on Shabbos, we had Moish Bain, who was the president of the OU, of the National Organization of OU. He was the guest in YU. Every Shabbos, they have someone else. So he was saying this is the biggest problem that the Orthodoxy have in America now. We're missing a lot of people in Chinuch who should teach, Rabbeim, and administration, uh, principals. Out of town, there are a lot of places where they need. He said, in, uh, there's one yeshiva in town where they used to have 60 applicants for one job, for one teaching position. Now they have two applicants for the same position. Fewer people agreed to go into Chinuch on, on a high school level. And lower than that, there's even fewer people. It's not a prisus covid The prima godim was a goin agoinim. And he taught mikri dardiki. He taught little children tanach. He has in his, in the beginning of the Sefer, Primagodam and Arachayim, he has letters to other Mechanchim, what kind of a Tanakh you should teach from, and how to teach, uh, and how to pronounce the words, and so on, uh, elementary, basic things. He was a Mikri Dariki. But we, we need, that you have, if you'll have a Goenim, like the Primagodam, teaching elementary school, then the children will learn well. The problem is that today, many of the Rabbeim who teach Chumash are wet behind the ears. They themselves don't know Pshat and Chumash. They teach Ascholas Gemara. They themselves don't know Gemara well. That's not well. That's not good. When I was young, my Rabbi, I was fortunate in a sense. My Rabbi were all refugees who ran away from uh, Europe during the war. They had learned in yeshivas all their lives. So they were teaching us Chumash and Rashi. They knew all the Rashis from the Gemara. They didn't know Rashi Alatar. They knew all the Gemaras with the Taisus and with the Pnei Yeshuas. And they were teaching us Chumash and Rashi. And they were teaching Haskolos Gemara. They knew all the Taisus and with all the Rishonim and all the Pnei Yeshuas. I was fortunate in that sense that I had big, big Tamir Chacham teaching me at a very young age. And uh, now, we don't, people, everybody wants to be on a higher level of education. Nobody wants to teach younger children. That's an Avla Gedoyla. It's not right. The Rashiva just mentioned uh, Maish Bain, and he's actually on our list of future people. He doesn't know this yet, but he's going to Mirza Hashem come on soon. But uh, um, he has a lot to say. <laughs> right. So um, I actually recently learned that Maish Bain is a, is a mechutin with a very close friend and mentor of mine, um, Aaron Cutler, who um, was on a very um, was on a very popular podcast uh, behind the bima uh, from a, it was also a Talmud of the Rashiva, and he, they asked. Um, Aaron Cutler was talking about his relationship with Maish Bain, and he said something very interesting. Um, he said that if people only really realize the achdus that exists um, on the leadership level, on the back end, 
um, between all the different yeshivas in the Litvish Shavelt, um, they would, you know, so much of this, you know, a, a lot of uh, the preconceived notions that people have about the division would, would, would fade away. And he brought a raya, as they say, that if you look in the halls of Beth Medrash Gavoa and the halls of, of yeshivas, uh, Rabbeinu Yitzchak Kachan, it's the same names, it's the same gavirim, it's the same philanthropists. Um, my question to Rashiva is, have you found the experience to be the same? That really there is a tremendous achtos amongst the leadership of the different yeshivas in our world. I don't know the achtos among the leader. I don't know, but the difference in the students is not that great. They learn the same svarim and all the yeshivas and the same style of learning. Everything is very, very similar. The differences are uh, very insignificant. It's not just the donors. Yeah. Moish Bain mentioned that uh, just recently he davened in in an Aguda minion and he looked around and he asked the one sitting next to him, what percentage of the people here send their children to college? He tells him 95% of them go to college. So what's the difference between them and the modern Orthodox? They learned Afyami, they learned Afyami. It's not the same. The difference is very insignificant. Right, right. Um, and I uh, going to a different podcast uh, from behind the Bima. Uh, there's another one that's very popular. Rashiva has been on, and that's uh, Headlines Halacha Radio. So um, David Lichtenstein, who, who's a who's a friend and someone who's uh, I, I've listened to for years, and he's also a guest on our program in the past. He had the Rashiva on once, and I remember this is a few years ago. They were talking about Hashkafa and Yani Hashkafa, and the Rashiva said a line that I wonder if we could if the Rashiva could elaborate on. And the, the Rashiva said that. Hashkafa could also be halacha. In other words, that we, we seem to like make these two things into two different worlds. And I wanted to know if the Rosh Hashiva could share with our audience, I guess, for starters, what's the definition of Hashkafa? And then how does it relate to halacha? Absolutely. Well, used to say a line. Halacha tells you what you're obligated to do, what you're not permitted to do, and what you're permitted to do, not obligated. And Hashkafa tells you what you're obligated to think what you're not allowed to believe, and what you're permitted to believe. So Hashkaf is also halacha. It's chavis al Instead of chavis al-vabas, the mitzvahs, you have to shake a lulav, and you're not allowed to eat chazer, and you're permitted to eat fleshik, sambilchik, so supper, whatever you want. And Hashkaf is what you're obligated to believe, what you're not permitted to believe, and what and what's permissible to believe. It's also halacha. It's also halacha. Absolvechik, when he gave the shir for the Balabatim, every week he would give a shir in New York for Balabatim on Tuesday nights in Maria. So uh, he used to spend more time on the Agarita than on the Halacha, and he would work very hard. And someone asked him, why does he spend so much time? So he said, if the Balabatim only understand the Halacha, so they'll attribute it to the fact that it was above their heads. It was too difficult. If they won't understand the Agarita, they'll make fun of the Gemara. So he doesn't want them to make fun. So he used to spend an awful lot of time trying to explain what the Agaritas, what they're driving at. So he would quote, I don't remember him ever quoting anything from the Maral Prague. Maral has, Maral has so much on Agarita. He used to always start with the Maharshaw, the Chedusha Agarita. So sometimes the Maharshaw is a totally different way of thinking usually. But uh, once in a while, he would pick up an idea from the Maharshaw and elaborate upon it. And then he would quote from the Maranavuchim, from the Kuzari, from the Chavis Alvobis. He would always find um, beautiful interpretations of the Agaritas. And the students asked him, where did he develop, where did he pick up this derech in, in interpreting Agaritas? So he says, Father taught him how to read in between the lines. You have to, he used to read in between the lines. He used to analyze the newspaper. 
in the newspaper, they would, I remember Rabbi Goldberg, Sochan Levrach, used to be the founding Rosh Hashiv in Karim Yavna, used to visit America every year and meet with his former students, with his alumni. And then if he would be in New York in the middle of the week, he would go visit by Rabbi Soloveitchik. So they would, uh, usually they would talk and learning a little bit, and then they would talk a little bit about Israeli politics. So he said, Rabbi Goldberg said he was so surprised. Rabbi Soloveitchik was in Eretz Yisrael, 1935, he was a candidate for the Rabbanut in Tel Aviv. He, he didn't visit since then, but he would analyze the Israeli newspapers. He would read in between the lines. He would interpret why this Chava Knesset took his position, why the other one took that position. And therefore, and he said it was, it was uncanny. He understood. He never met these people. He understood what was behind each sheet in Israeli politics. That was unbelievable. Wow. I, I have to ask the Yeshiva a question. On the, once you mentioned the word politics, I have to, uh, Israeli politics, American politics, whatever, but I have to ask the Yeshiva a question. It, it, there seems to have been some sort of like um, move, I don't want to say movement, but uh, yeah, definitely a bigger focus amongst um, the, you know, the Orthodox community to be more focused on the, uh, on the current political climate, almost so much so that they believe that if you, want to be a real Jew, you have to align yourself in this way and you have to support a candidate who's that way. And I'm not sure if the two should be mixed or not. Um, I want to know if the Rosh Hashiva has a, has a feeling of what, uh, now that we defined Hashkafa, but what, what is, what should the relationship be, uh, be between um, Shomer Torah Mitzvahs, uh, Yidin who are, who are keeping Torah Mitzvahs and their, and their political, um, you know, preferences. Should there be, um, a focus on it, or just no? It's something you do in the ballot box, and then you move on afterwards. Whom you vote for is a is a question of halacha. You have to vote for the candidate. We really should vote for the one who, let's say, in American politics, we should really vote for the candidate who's best for the United States. But we know that all the minority groups are not going to vote like that. They're going to vote who's best for the blacks and who's best for the Puerto Ricans. Each group is going to vote who's best for them. So the Jews have to also vote who's best for the Jews as opposed to voting for who's best for the United States. Who's best for the Jews? You have to investigate. You have to, you have to, in each, you can't always vote Democrat, you can't always vote Republican. It's not always going to be the same. You always have to determine who's best for the Jews in America, who's best for Israel and so on. But, but if it wasn't for the fact that the minorities were putting themselves first, Jews should not put Jews first? In other words, that we shouldn't be first thinking what's best for Eretz Yisrael? Uh, we really, as American citizens, we should really vote for what's best for America. But uh, Lemaise, we can't because the other groups are voting for who's best for them. So we have to vote for who's best for us. We have no choice. Rabbi Soloveitchik used to say a line, someone printed this, that uh, politics is kula sheker. Everything in politics is sheker. So they asked him, so how come we call it politics? How come we don't call it checker? So he said, if you would call it checker, at least the title would be correct. Now even <laughs> the name, even the name is checker. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Building off of that a little bit. Um, again, I don't want to paint too much of a doomsday uh, future, but um, as Rashiva mentioned, how complicated it is right now um, uh, to try to, figure out and navigate the world that we live in. I'm curious, what do you think the problems that we're going to be facing in the next 20, 30, 40 years, both 
as American Jews and also as world Jewry and uh, as more and more Jews are in, and end up in Eretz Israel, what what do you envision being some of the big greatest challenges that we we, we will face? All over the world, there's such a rebellion against Malchus Hamayim. There are only seven mitzvahs in the Nacht. The Ganze Zach is only seven mitzvahs. <clears throat> and they're fighting Eshesish, uh, we did away with. And uh, Mishkav Zacha, we did away with already. And Gezel, uh, Gezel and Arias, everything we're doing away with. The chiseling, these are the seven basic mitzvahs. The whole world is going crazy. That's going to be a major problem. They're married against Malchus Hamayim. Abortion, outright, uh, outright isurim, terrible. And then in Eretz Yisrael, there was from day number one, there was a big split between the religious Jews and the secular Jews. That's why Ben-Gurion wanted to meet, Ben-Gurion asked who's the biggest rabbi, so they told him, So he sent one of his shamosim, he wanted to meet, so Ravelva didn't want to meet. They said nothing good will come out of it. Then he said, who's the second biggest rabbi? So I said, the Chazanish. So he, the Chazanish agreed to meet with him, and that was what the question that he posed him. He sees there's going to be such a split the Medina saw, between the secular Jews and the religious Jews. What should we do to prevent the Medina from ripping apart? So the Chazanish didn't give him an answer. He, gave, he spoke about other things that uh, Ben-Gurion would say over in the name of the Chazanish and so on, but that he didn't answer. And that's what's happening now. The whole Medina is about to rip apart between the religious and the secular Jews. That's going to be a big problem in Eretz Israel. Uh, the Rosh mentioned um, the, the, the problem of abortion, particularly for um, the non-Jewish world, that the non-Jews are judged for um, abortion. I was curious, um, we actually had, um, in my shul, we had one of your Talmidim, um, um, Rabbi Jeremy Weeder. It was probably about three, four months ago. And uh, Rabbi Weeder mentioned um, that um, how he, he was wondering what he would have to answer these types of questions for Jews. I was curious um, uh, where Schechter falls on the, the abortion question for for the Jewish community, I'm not sure if it's a, a public psaac, if it's a private psaac per situation. Um, I know there's the the big debate between Rav Moshe um, and the Tzeliezer, so I'm not sure. I'm sure the Rashiv has his own view. Uh, I don't have my own view. No, if you look in the classical postcom, there are three opinions about abortion. There's a minority opinion that abortion is mutter, then the sect opinion, abortion is only an Issa de Rabbanan. And the third opinion, the, the, simple, the, mo, the most common opinion, abortion is an Issa de Raisa. So we assume really it's de Raisa. Those who say that it's mutter, it's probably a mess. It's against Taisa's proofs from the Gemara, Mika Midi. So if the Benoich has chayv Misa, so it has to be awesome. So it's clearly an Issa de Raisa. The only big question is, before the Tzitzel, there's a chuba by the Torah's Chesed. He has, Chelekevenez, he has two chubas. Teres Chesed was a rov in Lublin, and then when he retired, he moved to Eretz Yisrael, he joined the Badats. So he has a, a major tshuva that the Tzitzel is based on. The Teres Chesed has two tshuvas on this topic. What is the nature of the prohibition of abortion? Is it an Isa Chavola? It's like cutting off a finger. I have, if I have six fingers on my hand and I cut off one finger to look normal, that's permissible. 
if I have, let's say, gangrene in the leg and they cut off a leg, they amputated, they saved my life. So that's uh, that's mutter. But if they cut off a, a finger for no good purpose, that's chavala. So is the iser is the iser abortion an iser chavala? Or maybe I should say no. It's an iser itzicha, but you're not chayiv misen. So that's a big question with the major nafkeminus ledina. So the tzitzali. So the uh, what's the name? The Torah's Chesed. Uh, Rab Salvechik thought for sure that up until Mem Yom, first forty days, he thought it's only an iser chavala. But Moshe doesn't even doesn't even accept that. He thinks even with four forty days, it's an iser b'tzicha and it's only mutter if the vlad is right of the mother, if the mother's life is besakon. But also Rachel thought not so. He thought that before forty days, it's maya bialma. It's not. It's not yet uh, even an uber. <clears throat> it's not called a leda. If it's before forty days, he thought that's only an iser chavola. So that's the major question. When does it change? So the Torah's Chesed suggests maybe it changes only when she goes into labor. <clears throat> before she goes into labor, it's only an Havola. Or maybe it changes even before labor when she enters into the ninth month and the Vlad would be viable without a, a, an incubator. So that's his uh, Sophie. But he's he's the big makel. He's the big makel on, um, and, and, uh, and there's room to be a makel if you have a big shasatrak. If it's gonna, if the if the doctors can tell that it's gonna be major problems with the baby, this can rip apart the marriage and can rip apart the, the whole family, can destroy the whole shalom bias. If people have a sick child, I know students, I know people who got divorced. They couldn't, they couldn't take the agmas nefesh of having a sick child. It's terrible. <clears throat> so there's, um, so there's really a serious. Room to be makele if if they know in advance um, if it's not yet the ninth month there's really room to be makele to assume that it's only an isa chaval even according to the Rambam and whenever the chaval is l'tzorch tikan aguf then there's no isa chaval so the chaval is to save the mother to save the mother from aggravation in the future there really is a big room to be makele yeah. So, but Moshe is very machman. This Moshe thinks that even before forty days everything is an isa ritzicha. The only time it's mutter is when the Vlad, the Uber, is putting the mother's life in Sakana. He didn't write it. He's machma like the Rambam. Right. And, and definitely the Tzitz Eliezer was a, was a Goyen Oilam. Um, and and Rashiva says that there's definitely room to be mingled. The question is, does a person, does the individual have a right to say, you know what, this is a real need. I'm, I'll be Saimech on Tzitz Eliezer. Until now, I didn't know anything about him. I didn't follow him. But now I need the Heter. Does one, is one allowed to just do that? It's not right to go around shop for coolers, but I remember uh, I once met a doctor from Rochester, New York, who was a bentoira. He had done his um, uh, interning in Eretz Yisrael for a couple of years there, and he became close to Reb Zalman at that time. So there was a, an incident. There was a woman, I think she was a Gioris, and then took her a long time till she got a shidduch after she converted, then took her a long time till she became pregnant. And then she found out that she's pregnant with a sick child and it's going to be Agmas Nefesh. Years full of Agmas Nefesh. So, uh, so the local rabbi from Rochester asked the doctor, could he please ask Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Oybach on the telephone, is there room to be mekel? The rabbi didn't have a relationship with Rabbi Shlomo Zalman, but the doctor did. 
So the doctor called up uh, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman and he asked him a shayla. So Rabbi Shlomo Zalman said, he told me, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman says in Hebrew, you know my opinion, I hold that it's also, there's no room to be mekel. So he tells him over over the story again. But till she converted, until she found a shidduch, until she became pregnant, everything came with such source. Maybe there's room to be mekel. So he said, what is there room to be mekel? So he said, think it over, please. Think it over overnight. I'll call you back tomorrow. So Rabbi Shlomo Zalman said, I don't know what there is to think of. Okay. I'll think it over, over. And I calls him back the next day. He says, Tagidli Isha, Shiyesh Poisik Mufursum Birushalayim, Atzit Aliyazi, Lomuchuyevich, she's not a Talmud on mine, she's not a Chosid on mine. You're not Muchuyev to follow me, tell her there's a major Poisik in Eretz Yisrael who says that it's Mutta. You're not always Muchuyev to follow. Rabbi Shlomo Zalm is telling him this. You're not always Muchuyev to follow Rabbi Shlomo Zalm. I remember once. Uh, <clears throat> There was a, unfortunately, there was a Shabbaton with her boys and girls. One of the girls thought that she became pregnant over the Shabbaton. Turned out that she wasn't pregnant, just her period was delayed. So she thought that she was fooling around with one of the boys and she thought she became pregnant. She was single. So what's she going to do? So the, so the boy who, who, who thought that he was the one who made her pregnant, so he called up Rab David, he called up Rab David Feinstein. And he asked him in the shas, David Feinstein, he tells him, David Feinstein told him, whatever you do, don't ask my father. Ask someone else, <laughs> don't ask my father. Because he knows what Rabbi Moshe is going to say. <laughs> Not everyone is mukhif to follow Rabbi Moshe. Not everyone is always mukhif to follow Rabbi Shleim Zalman. But yeah. but in both cases, it took Rav David to tell you not to go after Rav Moshe, and it took Rav Shlomo Zalman to tell you. Yet you are allowed to not follow Rav Shlomo Zalman. Correct. So even there, you need you need some okay. direction. Correct. Okay. Wow. Um, another contemporary um, halachic issue is the um, the balancing, I guess we could say, of public health versus mental health. Um, just earlier this week on our show, we released an episode with a world-renowned uh, mental health researcher, Dr. David Lieberman. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and uh, some of his research has uh, sold. The books have sold millions of copies, and he talked about that there is not a single community in the country, in the world, that didn't see a significant spike in abuse, opioids, drugs, addiction, divorce, every single violence. In every single community throughout COVID, and which really begs the question: We have on one hand um, the mitzvah right? We don't find the word ma'oid that many times in the Torah by a mitzvah. It's 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 very um, uh, it's unique here to pikuach um, nefesh. On the other hand, um, we find that people who are in who are very uh, who are very, being very mentally challenged that could, I guess, also um, have a um, an, an effect on someone's health, not just mentally, but their, you know, physically. Um, I want to know if the Rashiva Kuwait in a little bit, where are the sources for mental health playing a role in halacha? And what are some of the um, guiding principles and how you weigh it in contrast to public health? Ramayusha Feinstein assumes in his shuvas based on a comment that appears in Rashi and Masechas Tainis, Rashi Antinus, we assume, was not really written by Rashi, but whoever it is. So Rashi says that when a person is uh, mentally not all there, so there's a chashash that he may fall into the river and drown. He may not realize it. He, he may lose his life. So mental health itself, per se, is not considered pikoch nefesh. But, 
But because if he's not all there, he may lose his life. So that's Bikoch Nevesh. Absolovechik said the name of his grandfather, Abchaim, that just to restore one to, to normal uh, uh, mental health, that itself is Bikoch Nevesh, even if there's no chashash that he's going to fall in the lake or he's going to drown. If a person speaks coherently, so that's nefesh uh, chaya. And if a person speaks incoherently, he doesn't have ruach memala, so that's bchina pikuach nefesh. Rabbi Kivega writes in his commentary on Shulchan Aruch that you're not allowed to have fleshiks in the nine days, but if a person had a, a lapse in his mental health and he has to eat, healthy flesh in order to regain his his uh, his normal way of uh, thinking. So he's permitted, that's Bamak Mukhaila, he's permitted to eat flesh in the nine days. So Rab Salvechik said a name Rab Chaim, not only allowed to have flesh in the nine days, he's permitted to eat on Tishabab, he's permitted to eat on Yam Kippur, permitted to eat on Tishabab, a Khilashem Basakana is permitted to eat on Yam Kippur on the Khilashesh Basakana. But he said that Rab Chaim held that uh, to restore one to mental health is considered like Bikoch Nevesh, even if there's Nachashash, that he's going to lose his life. Yeah, we have dinim of different dinim of um, of Shaita. Shaita doesn't have Kiddushin. Even with the Rabbanan, the Gemara says, a cherish, a retarded person is a cherish, Shaita is deranged. So, a retarded person, a deranged person, is a Labardas, and he can't be Mekadosh and Isha. With the Rabbanan, they instituted Kiddush Echeresh, not only a cherish marries a chareshes, a retarded boy marries a retarded girl. I I attended a wedding. There was a big wedding. Uh, NCSY has a yachad program. So there was a big wedding. Hundreds of people attended the wedding a couple of years ago. A boy, a boy and a girl from yachad got married together. So not only did they make kiddushin de Rabbonon by a cherish and marries a chareshes, even a cherish and marries a pikachas or a pikecha marries a chareshes, they also made a takon of Kiddushin de Rabbanon. Some men don't want to marry a wife who's too intelligent. They'd rather marry a retarded woman. And some women would rather marry a retarded man. So there there's Kiddushin de Rabbanon. By a shaita, there's no Kiddushin even with the Rabbanon. The Gemara says, because the marriage will simply not last. So they never made a takon of Kiddushin de Rabbanon by shaita or by shoto by male or a female, one who is reta- uh, deranged, because it doesn't make sense to make Kiddush. But Chebish V'chareshes is a lot bardas, but Medrabonim, they made uh, Takana Abishos. Yeah, the Gemara talks about different dinam of Chebish and Shaita, different alochas. And something that is becoming um, more, you know, people are more comfortable talking about the um, the rise of challenges as it pertains to mental health. Even if we could say in, back in the day with some of these things, if not exactly like the way they manifest themselves today, but they did exist in one way or another, there is no question there's a significant increase in um, with mental health problems, even as, you know, starting with, you know, anxiety and depression and then, you know, many uh, much more complicated issues. Um, my question is not so much from a, um, clinical standpoint or psychological standpoint um how do we under you know why that is but maybe mitzad um hashkafa um das tairo is is hashem trying to tell us something is there a message that we should we should be 
that we should be getting? Why now? Why this thing in this part of history? What should our relationship be when we see this incredible rise of mental health challenges? I don't know. Interesting question. I never gave it any thought. I don't know. I, I was going to say uh, something besides Ikvesod de Meshicha, but maybe that's also uh, not a bad answer. I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Never gave it any. I actually, thought. I actually, I actually have a, a follow up a little bit on the um, on. I think, I think there's there's so many questions about future things that we we don't know. Um, things like what Mashiach will exactly look like. I mean, now we have the Rambam Sakim about what Mashiach needs to do. We have. Um, and we have Olam Haba. Um, a lot of these things are, are so hard for us to, to fully wrap our head around. Um, I was curious about the, the, the following answer that sometimes when students ask me these questions, I, I suggest I'm curious if it's a good answer, if it's a bad answer, if it's, if it's an answer I should be giving slightly differently. I often tell students that we'll find out when we get there. Right, that I said the same thing that I tell my children when we, they ask me, did Bubby and Diddy make chocolate chip cookies? I say, I, I don't know but we'll find out when we get there. So uh, is that a fair answer to these types of questions? Is, should, should, I, should I have more clarity on these things? That's what the Ramam himself says. We're not sure whether Eliyahu Nabi is going to come before Mashiach or after Mashiach. We'll find out there are different opinions in the Gemara itself. It says we'll find out when we get there. That's what the Ramam writes. Yeah, we don't know. We just know generally vague. There's going to be Eliyahu Nabi. There's going to be Mashiach, but we're not sure what's going to, what the order of the issues are going to be. So I guess building off it a little bit, there are also areas of halacha where sometimes brain death, right? So we struggle to understand how these things really work fundamentally. We, we, we're lacking full, but sometimes you have people, big hush of Rabbanim who are, they seem to have be so, they they like it's 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 Emerson Shecker. Like they know for sure that their view on a certain issue that's so hard to really understand with what we have right now. Like how do we approach areas? I think I think it's sort of similar. It's not exactly the same, right? Because it's something that we're dealing with right now. But is it is to not have clarity? Is that a, a fair um, a fair approach to some of these big questions? And sure, sure, it's a fair approach. We don't have, we don't know enough. The Gemara doesn't have enough information that we should have a clear-cut psak on, on many of these issues. Everything has to be based on, on the Gemara. We can't make up things on our own. And the Gemara is very unclear on a lot of things. Do you think it's fair that sometimes people come across as, as very certain about these types of topics? Because I feel like, especially when they're, the, the, the ramifications are so large... I feel like people come across so strong about one side or the other. Yeah, how can they be so certain? Yeah, it's very surprising, sure. Thank you. Can the Rashiva give us a bracha, a parting uh, bracha for, for the city of Columbus? The Kailo should be Matzliach to have an influence on the whole city. And should have a hashpah on, on the whole Jewish community and the whole world. Thank you so much. And I hope that maybe one day we'll be able to welcome and, and uh, bring the Rosh Shiva to our community, to, to the shul, to the school, to the kailal, to the, to the, to, to the entire shtat, uh, to see, um, to see, to see Kavra Torah and Godless Patayra. Thank you so much for joining us. Very good. 
David Amelech, King David, relates to us in Tehillim Kuf Yud Tet, Psalms 119, a beautiful description of our, of our relationship with Torah. He says, beginning with the famous words, Lulei Toratcha Shashui Azavadeti Be'ani. Had your Torah not been my preoccupation, then I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for through them you have preserved me. We would like to now share with you a, music, a beautiful music video presentation entitled Lulei Sarascha, composed by A.B. Rotenberg of Journey. He sits late at night in the soft candlelight as it casts its warm glow on the pages and the words that he sees are the secret, the key that has kept us alive through the ages. Why does he cherish the wisdom of old and delight in its study each day? He knows only Torah can nourish his soul. Come listen and hear what he says. Without you, I surely would die. Lule Cyrus, Shashuai, Mosclet Rabi, Mostrach Rabash, Shakem in Trefin, in Halegirashi. Toyro, you've given my spirit to me. Kivam, Kivam, the Torah is our joy, and this is why we're all here today. Torah is the lifeblood of the Jewish people. And sit here, and be here for the sake of Torah. That itself is one of the most amazing things in life. As a nation in flight, we endured the world's spite. And the sight of our precious books burning We ignored our grief To the world's disbelief And never, no, never stop learning Why does he cherish the wisdom of old And delight in his study each day He knows only Torah
seven states just today reporting their first cases of the coronavirus. New York City schools are shut for five weeks. Cities from New York to Los Angeles are shutting down schools, restaurants, and large gatherings to stop the spread. For the isolation, home isolation of all of those 65 years and older and those with chronic conditions. While the world was in confusion and everything started to close, the Kolo students never stopped learning. Be it chavrusas, classes, public school groups, young professional learning, all of us demonstrated that life without Torah is no life at all. No one can stop us from our Torah learning. Now we remain with our faith yet sustained by our passion and love for this treasure. It's our link with Sinai and our Father on high. So we'll keep on learning forever. Listen to all Colo's episodes and see upcoming guests. Visit colopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Colo's on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Colo's is a project of the Columbus Community Colo, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvahs at the Kolel. Whether it's a study partner, engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L dot org and forever be inspired.